Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today on Brand Story, Inc., we welcome Adam Grossman. Adam is the CEO and founder of Block 6 Analytics, a sponsorship technology and analytics company whose clients include industry-leading partners, properties, and rights holders. He is also a professor at Northwestern, Master's in Sports Administration Program, and co-author of the book, The Sports Strategist, Developing Leaders for a High-Performance Industry. Adam, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Well, you know, Content marketing works. We were just talking about that. And I read your newsletter a week or two ago, and it went deep on uh, NFTs. And so it was so great to kind of reach out to you and say, okay, you're the guy to help us because I'm getting a lot of questions on NFTs, and I'm pretty uneducated on it. And we're going to go there in a second and go deep on this podcast on non-fungible tokens. But first, explain to our audience what Block 6 Analytics is, what you do, and the types of clients you do it for. Yeah, thanks, Jay. And uh, I should say, you know, one of the things I actually let off that content piece with is, despite the fact that we have uh, Block in the title of our name, we're not a blockchain company. I think it's the chagrin of some of our investors right now. But, uh, but uh, Block Six Analytics, at its core, is a sponsorship technology and analytics company. Uh, we use machine learning, uh, particularly uh, computer vision and natural language processing, uh, proprietary algorithms, models we've developed, insight generation and a dashboard to really tell the buyers and sellers of sponsorship the value that they're getting for sponsorship. So uh, our clients include, um, we're talking about the buyers, we've worked with companies like Citi, CDW, Pepsi, um, and we're talking about the sellers, we're typically talking about um, teams, leagues, athletes, events, um, and we've worked with um, organizations and properties in the you know, major US sports leagues, particularly the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, MLS, and and throughout kind of the sports industry. And really the challenge that we're solving is that um, there's a famous saying that I'm sure you've heard several times, but it's, you know, 50% of our marketing doesn't work. We're just not sure what 50% it is. Um, so uh, I think my dad likes to bring it up that it's, uh, I think a, um, it was an entrepreneur from Philadelphia and a marketer from Philadelphia because he grew up and was born in Philadelphia. So he likes to point that out. He, that that's our real goal is to say different you know different companies get different values from the same assets. And I talked about you know some of the clients we worked with, including City, CDW, and Pepsi. All of those companies have very different business models, have very different ways of generating revenue, and different brand goals. So we want to be able to say in a company specific way why do specific companies get specific value from specific assets? And we've developed those suite of products and services in order to um, answer that question. It's pretty cool, and it's uh, I've seen it in action. Worked with Adam, and uh, highly recommend you checking them out. You can Google it, block6analytics.com, I believe. Is uh, what's the website, Adam? Yeah, that's exactly it's right. Block6analytics.com. But the number six is spelled out. S I X. Okay, great. So now let's get into NFTs. It's become the rage in digital media in 2021, particularly in sports. Explain to our audience what non fungible tokens are. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of people who've tried to describe it, but uh, usually the essentially non-fungible tokens is some form of security that says this is the this is what it says it is essentially. So the whole idea behind blockchain originally is to have what's called a distributed ledger technology, which is basically the idea is that everybody can see a transaction. 
So the way to secure a transaction is to make sure that everybody can see a transaction. And the idea is that every time a transaction occurs, um, that you can go to this distributed ledger, which is literally a ledger that basically um, states what, what transactions occurs, who bought it, who sold it, and basically what quantity was bought and sold. A non-fungible token is, a, is basically, if you think of it like when you're buying a house, when you buy a house or you buy a car, you get a title to the house. A non-fungible token is typically thought of as like the title to the, whatever it is that's being sold. So the reason that blockchain, it's called a blockchain is that the way that these transactions are recorded from a, in a distributed ledger is a block. So it has a block, essentially a block is a piece or a series of information that's mm -hmm. saying this is how a transaction occurred. So this is ha in, in the past has been most famously applied to um, cryptocurrency, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that um, by people who are exchanging cryptocurrency, which is a digital form of payment or a digital form of money, that you could see all of the transactions that occur in this distributed ledger. Um, what's happened more recently is that, you know, cryptocurrency, while people, when they think of blockchain, they almost think of Bitcoin exclusively mm -hmm. or Ethereum exclusively. That's really not, blockchain is not exclusive to currency. It's a, It can be applied really to anything that's transacted and having distributed ledger technology and having this open source eliminates the need for what are typically thought of as clearinghouses. So in, the reason we, in the content marketing you mentioned, we focused on cryptocurrency is that's typically where people think of clearinghouses, right? When you're mm -hmm. thinking about when you send a check, right? A, the reason it used to take two to three days for a check to clear is that there had to be a clearinghouse or a bank that, um, or um, you know, a government agency that made sure that the check actually went through, that the buyer was who it said it was, that there was only one check that was ever issued, and that the transaction could go forward in a legal way. Um, that typically was done by a third party from a processing perspective. Using blockchain eliminates necessarily the need for a third party because everybody who's using the currency can see the transactions in these ledgers. So the NFT is, again, a part of this larger blockchain technology. Yeah, I think it's important. And, and to your point, I've, I've seen some presentations on blockchain and, and how it applies to non-currency, right? And, and someone said basically, similar to you, they, they, they described it as, if you think about like, Anything that requires many touch points or many transactions, that's what blockchain's being used for. So, for example, like a piece of produce, right? Think about all the places it goes yeah. from getting from farm to table and all the people it touches and the ability to have um, way stations and transactions every piece of the way is going to make that system much more efficient. You'll be able to know, oh, where did that bad piece of lettuce come from and trace it instantly because it's been authenticated on blockchain, right? And it's funny how you're right. I think people think about it. Um, it once you really get to understand it, there are a few industries that it's not going to, to touch. Um, but I, getting back to the point at hand, I, you know, for me, as a 47-year-old guy who used to collect things and baseball card collector as a kid and, and kind of in the collectibles to a, to a degree, the, the NFT as it relates to... Um, the, the tangibility of it to me, right? Like I get the blockchain part and, and I thank you for describing that. I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, the headline making dollar signs for NFT transactions. We saw Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, recently had his first tweet in a bidding war that went for, you know, nearly 3 million. Slate Magazine recently deep dived on the crazy dollars in the indie market, right? And, and they had a quote that I thought was applicable. A guy named 
Beeple sells what Artnet actually describes as decade-old bro-bible-level brain farts through Christie's for $69 million. And of course, there's NBA Top Shot, which is selling digital moments for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Help me understand what's going on in the marketplace around these actual digital mementos, these NFTs. Like, wh- why is there such appeal? I'm, I'm, that's the part I think many of us that are, aren't educated like myself on it don't get. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there. One is that um, I think one of the ways that blockchain can be most effectively applied is intellectual property. Uh, people have for years had issues with intellectual property being copied or protecting intellectual property. And one of the things we talk about in that content marketing piece that we described is oftentimes the value of intellectual property comes, you know, it, when you're talking about, you were talking about produce and goods and mm-hmm. products. Um, you know, we typically, you can think of, at a high level, you can think of the value of products, services, companies as falling into two main categories, functional benefits and emotional benefits. Mm -hmm. And functional benefits like produce is where you consume produce and your body turns that into energy, right? That is a very functional benefit. Now, some people have a more emotional attachment uh, to food or produce specifically, but in general, people would think of that as like a functional benefit. When you're talking about intellectual property, there's a huge component of it that's an emotional benefit. And that's the idea is that, you know, when you're talking about, um, particularly when you're talking about non-fungible tokens in the context of sports and in the context of art, right? The idea is that you own the original and you can Mm -hmm. prove that you own the original and owning the original has emotional value because you can say you own, you know, that's in that piece I was talking about the, you know, obviously the most famous uh, card that exists in sports is the T206 Honus Wagner Mm -hmm. uh, card that's has sold for millions of dollars. Now you can always get a rep, like you can go right. online right now, type in Honest Wagner and see the card, right? But it's the value is in owning the original. And that's been consistent for art. It's been consistent for music and it's consistent for trading cards and the mm-hmm. rise of trading cards is that there's an emotional utility. And this is not exclusive when you're talking about intellectual property or brand to this market. Um, and the book that you, you mentioned at the beginning, we highlight Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola's functional benefit is carbonated water, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. while the secret has lore, you know, there's a lore mm-hmm. around the formula of Coca-Cola. I mean, you could buy a soda stream right now mm-hmm. and make your own, you know, carbonated water. It's the idea that you don't want carbonated water, you want a Coca-Cola, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an emotional feeling that people have around the brand Coca-Cola. And brand building, and obviously that's the one of the main themes of this uh, podcast, mm-hmm. brand building is creating, you know, this desire from, you know, either in some form customers audiences end users media on down the line that there's an emotional utility that comes from working with this piece and that's essentially what the reason you know one of the things that makes top shot in particular so valuable is that the nba has officially licensed the moments plus that the players have bought into because they're finding in part because they're financially incentivized to but the players have also you know kind of bought into this ownership piece and the idea of you actually owning something that um, that is officially licensed, where you know it's going from, and you know how it can be, um, um, you know exactly where it came from, mm-hmm. and you know exactly how it can be transactioned. That's part of it. Now, is there part of, is there potentially some of this, you know, what's famously called in economics, like this, you know, Dutch tulip phenomenon, where all of a sudden this one Dutch tulips um, mm-hmm. became extremely valuable for no seemingly good reason. Yes, there's certainly a possibility that obviously, like when you're saying a digital, uh, you know, this, the Beeple example, where that was the most expensive piece of art Christie's has ever sold, right? Is that likely to continue? Probably not. But I think people look at it in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. It's that this should be thought of as 
more like music or art or things, intellectual property more generally, where the, the value is typically an emotional value. Um, but that there is, you know, again, that there is value in emotional, you know, that there is a value in, in emotional uh, benefits. And that's a value that's been captured, you know, basically through the history for a long period of time. Um, the last thing I'll say, oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, go ahead. Good. Yeah, I mean, I think the last thing you can, I mean, it, the reason to, to end on this, and one of the things that's um, going to be interesting is from a music perspective, right? The person who owned the first Beatles record, mm -hmm. you know, the Beatles still own, well, you know, depending on who, you know, Beatles right. or Apple Music right. or whoever owns, you know, like they still own the publishing rights and the lyric rights, you know, it's not like they're in mm -hmm. song rights and music rights, but the value is in owning the first record. You don't own the song, you right. own the record. Yep. And that's exactly what this is like, is like you own the record. Um, now, what is more interesting about this is that as compared to owning a record, particularly these top moments or just non-fungible tokens more generally, and one of the reasons that musicians are really interested in this is that unlike, you know, streaming to a certain degree, the, the artists can sell the content directly, but then the artist or the MBA or whoever originally owns it can actually make money off of future transactions because you're able to track future transactions. Mm -hmm. You put into the original agreements that you can make money off of future transactions, wow. which also adds value to the currency or wow. adds value to this because you're, which is something I think that has been underplayed in discussions about this is that the original holder. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, the original holder can then continually monetize the piece of intellectual property in ways they couldn't before. Oh man, isn't that the, the passive residual income? Isn't that just amazing stuff? <laughs> I exactly. Want, I, let's go there. NBA Top Shot. I will admit, <laughs> I've not dug into it. Don't know how it works. And we have a lot of people listening to this podcast who um, don't follow the NBA. So help explain it, you know, to a broader audience what NBA Top Shot is and how it works based on the context of what we just talked about from an NFT yeah, perspective. I mean, the easiest way to look at it is, is, is like a highlight package, right? The NBA basically licenses this highlight that says the NBA is licensed that you own exclusively this highlight. Mm -hmm. You can go on to Top Shot. Top Shot has a marketplace where you could then, you know, the way that Top Shot works is essentially there's these drops and you can think of it like uh, trading cards, right? Mm -hmm. When they, they literally call them packs, you get packs of highlights that drop at certain times. And then once they drop, you own that highlight that's been officially licensed by the NBA. And then you can buy or sell those highlights in the Top Shot marketplace. Um, there's a lot of potential issues which we can go into with that, um, but essentially that's how it works. And now I, I don't know exactly because it's not been necessarily articulated, but one of the things that, one of the reasons the NBA has licensed that one is the direct revenue you get from, you mm -hmm. know, same thing like Tops when they sell a pack of cards, you get the money from selling the pack of cards. The difference, though, is that Tops, once they sell the card, if somebody else wants to sell the card, there's not necessarily a way of Tops knowing that that's right. been sold, right? In this, the NBA would know because it's part of the distributed ledger blockchain so that the NBA can then continue to monetize that. And the NBA and the and its players associations are partners in this so that the money, depending on how the contract is structured, and that's not the publicly made right. available, is that you could they share the revenues not just on the original transaction but on the go forward basis you know, so what makes the yeah and what makes the nba is that the players you can see if you just look at social media the players are talking about it they're offering like mm -hmm. exclusive experiences they're asking their fans how to get involved so not only is it like a direct revenue source but it becomes to the point content right. and interesting content and content that the fans are organically I guess you've done a really good job of using some examples, right? And going back to <coughs> most people understand the value, no problem. The most people understand the value of um, if you listen to a Beatles song, 
mm-hmm. right? You get to, everyone can enjoy that. But someone actually owning the record, there's that emotional benefit. The hard part for me in this, and this is where I'm not trying to fight it, right? Like, I'm not trying to be that guy. Like, I remember all the people when Twitter started, it was like, why does someone need to know what I'm eating a ham sandwich, right? Like, there was exactly. all of, there was that whole, it, I'm truly trying to get my head around the emotional benefit of, of the ownership of a LeBron James dunk, right? When you have the emotional benefit of you can watch it on YouTube or anywhere you want at, at any time, but it's the ownership of that. And I don't know what, I don't know, I don't know how to describe or articulate my question here other than like, I'm having a hard time understanding the ownership of it because it doesn't necessarily feel, maybe it's because it's not tangible, like it's not physically yeah. tangible is the part that I'm having trouble with. These other things, you know, someone comes over, hey, look at this, I've got this thing hanging, right? Like, uh, you know, some, some artifact or piece of art and it's got a story behind it, right? The, the concept of having to go on your phone to be like, hey, look, I own this, right? Just that's the part for <laughs> me where I'm surprised at how the values have taken off. And, and, yeah, and I, the transactions. And I'm curious to get your take on, on kind of the dollars associated with it. These were like $1, $2, $10 things. But these are, these are going for significant dollars. Yeah, I think there's two separate questions in there that, that are both good questions. The first is, um, you know, why is there value, period? Mm-hmm. Um, like, what is the actual value? And yep. again, I think you have to say, you know, you might want to, the best probably example is, you know, why is there value? You can say like art is something you can hold, but really art is just right paint on whatever material. Mm-hmm. If you think in, traditionally, right, paint mm-hmm. on canvas, right? Why mm-hmm. is paint on canvas value? Because it means something to whoever's mm-hmm. looking at it and it means different things to different people. Now, arguably, right, that's a fully emotional, um, you know, that's the, uh, you know, the emotional utility of that is different for different people. You know, some people can look at the Mona Lisa and say, like, I don't get it. Like, why is this so valuable? Right. And other people can look at it and see all the things that Leonardo were trying to do and trying to accomplish, you know, whether it's through shading or, mm-hmm. um, you know, viewership points or like the emotionality of it. But, you know, again, then people can get different mm-hmm. values. So I think there is, but I would say probably the way to think of it is more like with brands, right? Why do people, why, why do people care about, to a certain degree, Coca-Cola or brands in general. And what is the goal of brands is to build brand equity, right? Mm-hmm. Equity literally means ownership mm-hmm. and having ownership in your favorite player in some form to mm-hmm. fans probably connotes or probably mm-hmm. derives a significant value. And you can say like, I, this is the MBA's officially licensed. I own this official highlight. This is something, you know, similar to the first tweet, right? I own this, right? This is something that I literally have equity in. Um, and that's not always something that can happen in sports. While fans, you know, feel like they have ownership in their favorite players or teams, they really don't. Like literally, they own nothing, right? They pay times to get tickets or they watch games on television, but you literally own nothing, um, except for publicly traded teams. Um, yeah. But you know, like like a Manchester United. But mm-hmm. in this case, you literally can own something that's of your favorite player that no, your favorite really player produced. That and just that, I think, for me. Yeah, I think that's. Own, like that's the same thing with owning the Beatles record, right? You own, right. like you don't own the song, right? But you right. own the record. You own something that they've created. Yeah, uh, is, I will say like, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, it's kind of like the old, uh, I remember the 80s, I was, grew up a big Celtics fan and, you know, limited stock and they're selling shares, right? Same with the Packers. And, you know, everyone buys them because it's like, hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm a wink, wink owner of the Celtics for 20 bucks, right? Just there's that emotional connection component here. If you own something, in theory, it, emotionally connects you with the person right like i own something yeah. of lebron james is is to your point which you really framed it in a way i love that the, the emotional benefit and functional benefit is pretty much everything you've been put in those two camps and, and that's what we're talking about here emotional benefit and so um that makes more sense to me so i appreciate that 
I was that you just unlocked that component. I'm like, okay, now I was like, duh, okay, I got it. But I still <laughs> well, don't understand I, the value, though. <laughs> the value, right? Is well, I think that's the second question. Yeah. The, the Packers are actually a really good example, right? The ownership right. of a Packers. If you talk about like a traditional stock, yeah. Like the Packers, literally, you can't trade the stock. You don't get a dividend, and you can't sell the share unless the Packers approve of you selling the share. Right. So, like as a traditional equity play, like that is literally you're just giving mm-hmm. the Packers money to say that you. That is literally just a fully yes. emotional benefit. Yep. Where at least with this, right, you can actually buy and sell yep. this. So there actually is like it functions more like a traditional asset or stock, which is weird to say. Like the Packers versus NFTs, what would mm-hmm. be more traditional? You would think it would be the, the Packers, but that's really not necessarily how that operates. Uh, in terms of the actual value, I mean, I think this is obviously a question that's not just specifically with NFTs, but it's about blockchain and you know, obviously mm-hmm. Bitcoin specifically, where the value has skyrocketed. Uh, what, what has been interesting about Bitcoin is that Bitcoin, I, I think, is trading at something, or last time I checked, it was like $60,000 for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethereum, which is the another common kind of, it's not exactly a currency, but it's a token. You know, it's a, that Ethereum is what is the token of non-fungible tokens typically used, and I believe that's the one used for Top Shot. But, um, but Ethereum has a certain price, too, and that the tweet that you mentioned, um, that Jack Dorsey's first tweet was purchased through Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can use it as a currency, but that's not its only application. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, but what is the value? So you know, if you if you look at, at Bitcoin, Bitcoin's value at one point was twenty thousand dollars. Then people were asking the same questions that you're asking, and the value of it collapsed almost to like I think it was went from twenty thousand to something like five to seven thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly right, but it's something like that. Um, and then now it's back up to sixty thousand because people have seen well actually. The idea of using distributed leverager technology as a way, as a form of currency, and using that as a way to trans, you know, potentially as future transactions could be valuable, but it, it is itself valuable as an asset, right? People typically aren't buying and aren't using Bitcoin as a currency. They're using it as an asset in the way that you would use, you know, intellectual property, some of the stuff that we've talked about as an asset, whether that's art, music, and, um, you know, even trading cards, right? Those are the reason to use that as an asset class. One is that. You know there is a obviously a market for an asset class but two um that you know people typically think of those assets as things that are not correlated with the market so mm-hmm. there's always going to be a market you know it's the trading card value isn't necessarily doesn't usually correlate with how the rest of the stock market or debt markets are right. typically doing that's similar for you know some of these other intellectual property assets and there's an argument to be made that the you know um non-fungible tokens and those assets well, they may be, you know, again, I, I don't think they're necessarily worth, you know, obviously there's a play that says because there's been no value because it's a new asset, clearly there do, does this have the aspects or at least some of the aspects of a bubble? Sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. Do I think like something's going to sell for $69 million or a top shot moment will sell for 69? Probably, probably not. But again, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell. I mean, people were saying the same things about Bitcoin yeah. when it collapsed in value and it shot up because people saw it as an asset class that had value in and of itself as an asset class, even if it's functional utility as a currency, isn't something that it's typically used for. And because it's not correlated to the market and particularly this, you know, the equity markets, um, that does provide value and you know ways for people who are looking for value particularly. And I, obviously this is way in the weeds, but um, when you're not getting as much value potentially from other assets, particularly when interest rates are low, people do look for alternative assets as a way that can appreciate in value um, as a potential value source. And I think, I think, but the larger question I think is like, why, why is something valuable in the first place? Um, 
obviously that's something that people have debated on through the history of right. time. Uh, <laughs> and I think, you know, you can look at it from a functional, emotional benefit perspective. There is some idea of, um, like, you know, what do other people think of it is potentially its value. Um, in like traditional financial modeling, there's like three types of valuation approaches, which are inherent valuation, relative valuation, comparable valuation. Inherent valuation is how does an asset produce free cash flow. Uh, a relative valuation is based off some metric using like a fraction. Why is something at value? And then comparable is like, what are other people paying for it? Mm -hmm. And obviously right now, the main thing with NFTs are the, it's probably the comparable piece, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's like, what are other people paying for? That's the value. And, you know, markets have existed like that for a long period of time. I think over time, we'll move more into the other kind of valuation approaches. Yes. But, you know, again, that's something. I'm yeah. Saying. I mean, I think, look, you, you, you talked about it. The, the other part of this, too, is it's a long game, right? Like, right. I remember talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in like 2002, 2003, right? Like, and people, I was like, what is this? Why? Right? Like, and right, it just, exactly. there's, this, there's this whole outside narrative and journey component of anti-establishment. Like, there was a lot of dark cloud around cryptocurrency, right? Like, And there, um, and there still is. Yeah. And there still is. But now, yeah. you know, it's gotten to the point where like, okay, major banks are now getting involved. And it's like, okay, we're now getting to, it's it's becoming mainstream. You can see we're not there but there by any means yet, but it's definitely, you know, and that's like a 20-year journey. And I'm sure it's longer than that. I don't know when the blockchain actually even began. Um, but it's, I think the same thing here with NFTs, right? 20 years from now, you could look back and people are like, oh my God, if I, I would have, could have, should have, if I understood it, you know, wow, I could have placed some bets and who knows, right? So yeah. there's, there's that element to it as well. And that a whole generation of people growing up who have, are just digital natives, right? If you're, yeah, you know, exactly. that, that, um, they're going to be laughing all the way to the bank potentially on this, you know, trying to explain to their parents and, and grandparents what the hell an NFT is, just like I'm sitting here. So this is awesome um, crash course and, and helps me get a better understanding around it. And I think, you know, like to your point, the whole point of I thought what you said about the NBA was interesting. You know, clearly it's about money, right? Like they're creating right. a marketplace. They've incentivized the players. But to your point, they've got everyone aligned around the financial benefit but they're using content social media right they're 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 building a narrative around uh, and top shot's done a very good job of this of of a groundswell of pulling people into at least what is this wait how does this work right and so it's it's a pretty good example i think top shot's been one of the stellar um stories around the the nfts and from, from the outside looking in be curious to see if if i'm off on that or who who else you think is doing well yeah, I think, and I think you know the primary benefit of potentially NFTs or blockchain technology more generally in sports is content. I, I you know, the idea of being able to content and engagement, right? I mean, originally the use case for creating these tokens were as fan currency. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not the specific Top Shot moments is is new, but the idea of sports teams creating tokens that unlock um, benefits and particularly unique benefits to fans who own and have the tokens and use it as like a fan currency. That is one of the original use cases. Um, and usually the, the, the way you would unlock specific content or unique content that would be only available through the token. Um, and that was the original thing and uh, the original idea. And one of the things to talk about and that piece that you mentioned that I wrote is, 
you know, media specifically and right, eliminate eliminating illegal distribution of content mm -hmm. and, you know, solving that intellectual property component of like who is watching what I'm producing. Mm -hmm. And that's another way that we can look at it. And I think the idea of talk about that. I think that was a huge point. That's a, I want to step, stop, jump in there. That That is a yeah. incredibly important point that you said, especially as a company that we have teamwork that's in the content creation business. It's something piracy and consumption. I mean, it's, it's insane how prevalent it is out there. Um, and to your point, um, this point of applying kind of blockchain towards content is, is kind of a new frontier. I'd like you to dig into that. Yeah. I mean, what we talked about exactly, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, one of the biggest problems in sports, particularly when you're talking about sports intellectual property is the media rights and how content is distributed in particular, you know, people, I think there was some recent article that said, you know, it's something like a 28 to somewhere between 28 and $50 billion a year is, you know, goes towards illegal streaming mm -hmm. or pirated content. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, content just generally is an issue, like when your business and, you know, obviously when you're talking about major professional sports, the largest single revenue stream for the NFL, NBA, and, you know, and almost from every major professional sports is their, you know, either national or global uh, media rights deals. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, right, that the, the, global media companies are paying to become the rights holders and the exclusive right holders in whichever platform they're looking at for that content. Yet that content is streamed illegally. And it's really difficult to find all mm -hmm. the places where it's streamed illegally. If you put it on the blockchain or a form of blockchain technology, you can track everybody who's using it because that is the point or one of the points of blockchain and distributed ledger technology, right? Is every time a transaction occurs, you can see who is how and who is using the transaction. So that way you could see and eliminate, if not all, virtually all of the pirated streams. And that makes the content more valuable and makes intellectual property more valuable. If you can enforce, enforcing intellectual property is the most difficult part of the intellectual property outside of the actual creation of the property. So being able to enforce and eliminate those to say, this person is streaming this illegally, we can cut off their use of this immediately or never allow that transaction to occur. Um, that's something that can happen through distributed ledger technology. The other thing that's interesting is that, and this is something that, um, you know, has greater implications is, you know, sports, you know, uh, the rights holders can then charge for the content itself, right? right. Instead of just looking at only being reliant, which primarily broadcasts are, um, except, you know, broadcast are cable uh, distributed or not, like ESPN has obviously gets carriage fees and it charges people for watching the content. But imagine applying that ESPN model now to all models because you could actually have every time somebody is streaming something, you could see who that, you know, in a, uh, you, you can charge them every time and the key itself becomes a way of charging people for using the content in a similar way that we're talking about Top Shot, right? Top Shot, every time a transaction occurs, somebody's getting paid and then the NBA itself would get a portion of mm -hmm. all future moments. That's something that could be impacting um, the media distribution rights. That doesn't mean that commercials will go away. I think there's always going to be a place. I know people don't think that as much, but I think there's always going to be a place for advertising in content and that people do actually potentially want to see advertising um, and potentially sponsorship more generally um, in content. Um, and that may change somewhat, but the idea of, um, 
you know, being able to track it actually become makes the content more valuable for advertisers and sponsors because you actually track where the content is going yep. and who's potentially watching. Agreed. You get way more information, and that makes it actually more valuable. You and I've had this conversation, right? It's still, it, 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 it's, it's a good. What amazes me about what you just said is the fact that you could see a future. All of these companies have just poured billions of dollars into their streaming arms, right? Disney Plus, right. Peacock. You could see a future where it's just completely a la carte, meaning. You consume whatever you want, wherever you want, and you're going to pay for these. Pay for it in microtransactions, right? A highly exactly. there is no such thing as a network. It's a open marketplace of, and then it becomes a marketing game. I mean, we're we're talking years to get years and years to get there because there's a lot of right. people who would, <laughs> namely the large media companies who are just getting their heads around getting into the streaming game, exactly. right? So exactly. Um, but I think the other part that you know I have that conversation all the time, I mean, and we're doing this right now. It's just it's amazing to me the value premium placed on television advertising in live sports as opposed to digital in the year 2021. That still blows me away for all the reasons you're talking about, the trackability, you know, the relative degree of knowing who's watching, being able to engage with them. Um, it, it's just, and yet it's treated like a second class citizen as it relates to value um, in, in many cases, not in all, but um, you know, looking inside these major sports media networks like you do and I do, that's the part where it's like it just it's a good reminder on nfts on blockchain things take a long time to change and evolve exactly they just do um so i'm so curious how how has the nft explosion impacted your business if at all i mean you're writing about it but um i'm, I'm curious how block six analytics looks at nfts and and what your potential role in nfts can be yeah i think it's um it's a good question. The one thing I would just say about the TV versus digital, I mean, I think this is the reason TV, one of the reasons TV is a first-class citizens is like, it's known that you can reach a large audience mm -hmm. because people have been concerned that if I don't know who the audience is, I need to reach as large an audience as possible. And obviously, like you're saying, digital, one, consumption patterns are changing, but two, that's one reason to go with TVs, right? You can reach a large, a large audience, even if you don't know exactly who it is. But I think Right. If you could have the best of both worlds, reach a large audience and know who it is. Right. And I think that's where it's moving towards. Right. And I think that goes into your site. The question you did ask me, which is how, how it's impacting my company. And I think that's the idea. It's this conversation is probably the way that it's impacting my company. It's how do you understand the value? How do you think about and how do you make how do you understand the value of new assets? How can you approach and use valuation concepts in ways that can help me understand the value of new assets, whether it's NFTs or blockchain technology more generally. And then how do you communicate about those to your internal stakeholders and external stakeholders in ways that make the most sense? And having an infrastructure in place that's talking about asset valuation, right? Which is fundamentally, we're focused on sponsorship, but sponsorships are asset. And our, we literally call our core model, our corporate asset valuation model because we're valuing assets. So how do you value these assets is something that's a, obviously increasingly mm -hmm. an important part of what think people are thinking about. So having an infrastructure, we have both our core corporate as evaluation model and we have a specific intellectual property model that we've developed that enables us to say, you know, based on our, the metrics that we've developed, these are potentially the value of those assets and this is how you can think about the value of those assets. And then you can, the other the nice thing about that is, I think goes to your point just that you made about media, right? There's older or more traditional uh, distribution channels and newer distribution mm -hmm. channels and how do you compare those well that's a key issue within the sponsorship advertising um even content space right is how do you compare all these different content types content approaches sponsorship approaches advertising approaches 
can you create a single, which we believe we have, create a single way of valuing all of these different approaches across all these different channels using a unified valuation approach so I can make those apples to apples comparisons to say, does social media work better? Does event marketing work better? Does content marketing mm -hmm. work better? And do NFTs, is this something that could work better, particularly as a mode of content marketing? Um, that's all something we can do within the context of our platform. Well, I feel like I have taken a seat in Professor Grossman's uh, laboratory here. <laughs> Our audience yeah. is not surprised to learn that you actually are a professor at Northwestern Master's Program in Sports Administration. Uh, talk, let's talk uh, as we wind down here. You also have a podcast. Share with our audience what that podcast is, how they can find it, and what it's about. Yeah, so we use a, the most nerdy name possible, I would assume, for a sports podcast, which is Revenue Above Replacement, which is a takeoff of Wins Above Replacement. Uh, what, That's some inside the, baseball for the inside baseball folks, right? <laughs> right, literally, like, right, literally inside baseball, right? So, exactly. Uh, there you go. Uh, the, the, uh, so the idea is that uh, our target audience particularly is for students. So I, as you just said, you know, I teach in the master's in sports administration program. The idea is particularly for people who are just getting started or looking to enter into the sports industry. So we try to have industry leaders, you know, hopefully you as well uh, mm -hmm. soon on, on the podcast. Yes, thank you. Um, to talk about, you know, kind of issues that are important um, to their issues that are important to them, issues that are important to the industry, uh, and then also how to get you know, how to enter or progress in the industry as well. And we've had a variety of different great guests. Um, and we also used portion or some of the podcasts in, in the class itself so that people mm. can understand the concepts that we're talking about. And one of the projects we actually have in the class is to create a pro podcast production plan for a guest that we can then uh, and use potentially as and put into place um, through the pod, through the Revenue Above Replacement podcast. Awesome. Adam, last question for you. Um you clearly are up to speed on a ton and you're reading a lot. <laughs> Tell me you get a chance to read for fun. Any, anything for fun? Any Adam Grossman yeah. book stack? What are you reading? Uh, well, I, <laughs> a couple different things. I try to be, what, I guess what's called a polymath as much as possible, um, which is just basically trying to read, a, you know, try to look at a judge of different pot topics. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my wife is pregnant, so I am reading a book currently on pregnancy, but um, Congratulations. in general, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but in general, as much as I, you know, like want to go in the professorial mode, if I'm talking about reading for fun, I do like like business kind of books, like mm -hmm. and particularly business, for lack of a better term, more like gossipy business books. Mm -hmm. That's not exactly that's not fair to the office. To say that, <laughs> but like, um, like there's some books about uh, like. Um, You're talking like a, a shoe billion, dog type book, like the Phil Knight. Like, yeah, what, it's, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like Billion Dollar Loser. The one of, yeah. there's one about WeWork, Super okay. Pump, which is about Travis Kalanick and yeah. Uber. Bad Blood, which is the Theranos oh, yeah. one. I love that yeah. one. No Filter, which is the one about Instagram and its interaction with Facebook. So I'm saying purely for fun. Yeah. Those are, again, those those have a lot of good content. It's not fair. To yeah. Fun, but it's and obviously given that I you know like you started your own company, I do have a bent towards looking at entrepreneurs. Yep. At their journeys, like so, I, those are the ones I would say every awesome. Read, but. Well, Adam Grossman, uh, Block6 Analytics CEO and founder, can't thank you enough for your time. This was awesome. And uh, our audience is going to be very thankful for the very concise education on NFTs, blockchains. You brought so much value, and I, I thank you a ton. Thank you for having me. And I, I know it's a complicated topic, so there's a lot more to talk about. Um, so hopefully I'm glad it was, we were able to cover so much ground in, in a short amount of time.
Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.